So if you're visiting, if you're new, I mean, what we did is we asked our people, what are the top five questions people are asking you? What is it that you want to know? And we've gone through this. If you haven't been here for the series, I'd strongly encourage you go to parkviewchurch.com and go to our media center and watch these or download them. You can get uh, podcasts. You can get it however you want and listen to these because these are the hard questions. All right. We're going to do the hardest one today. If God is good, why all of this suffering? And and the truth is we understand that we live in a world that's not perfect. We live in a Murphy's Law sort of world, right? If something could happen bad, it's probably going to happen bad. My favorite story of that is a woman who was skiing in Utah, and she had to go to the bathroom really bad. And uh, she couldn't figure out where the, you know, nearest powder room was. And she was really getting kind of desperate. And, uh, you know, she's talking to her husband. She's out on the slopes, and her husband said, hey, you're wearing a white snowsuit. Okay. Why don't you just go out in the trees, you know, be a man, just go out in the trees and do your thing because you're wearing white and you're, you know, you're going to blend into the snow. Nobody's going to see you out there. Just go out in the trees and do your thing. And so she's so desperate. She decided to do it. So she goes out into the trees and she proceeds to pull her pants down and do her little thing. And you need to understand if you're not a skier, there's a right way and a wrong way to set your skis. Okay. That's why this is my favorite story. So it's a true story. She set her skis kind of the wrong way, and they were still facing downhill backwards. So with her pants down, she starts skiing backwards through the trees, and and she can't stop. And miraculously, somehow she makes it through the trees and ends up coming out on a slope with other people with her pants down, going backwards, crosses another slope with a ski lift going over it, and finally crashes into a pylon and breaks her arm. So she's down at the, at the bottom of the slope at the first aid station with a broken arm, and next to her is a guy with a broken leg, and she decides to make conversation with him. And she said, so, so how'd you break your leg? And he said, it was the darndest thing. I was riding a ski lift, and all of a sudden this woman came out of nowhere with her pants down, and he said, I leaned over to take another look, and I fell out of the chair. <laughs> Usually, uh, usually the situations you find yourself in aren't really that funny. I mean, the truth of the matter is a lot of you have come in here today and, and you're suffering with some kind of a Murphy's Law situation. And, and the first thing I want to tell you is it's really okay for you to ask the question. Okay. But I want to give you permission to say, why God did you let this happen? I mean, it's okay to do that. Why do I know that? Because Jesus on the cross said, why God? Why have you forsaken me? So if it's okay for Jesus, it's okay for you. God is not going to strike you down if you say, hey, how come this is going on in my life? Because God loves you. And it's a head question, not a heart question anyway. We understand that. And the truth of the matter is, if you, are, if you are somebody that's talking to somebody else about this question, you need to understand that there's usually a question behind the question. I've been trying to, we, Casey and I have been trying to answer that this way in this series. We've been trying to answer the question behind the question. For example, uh, would Jesus have gay friends? I think the question behind that question is, are you homophobic? Or is your church homophobic? Or do you or your church think that homosexuality is some kind of different sin than any other kind of sin? And we, that, that's the question behind the question. So I didn't get into the debate over the Defense of Marriage Act. I didn't get into a debate about the gay gene theory. I don't, I don't want to get into any of that kind of stuff because I just wanted to answer the question. Last week, Casey uh, was answering the question, uh, does the Bible uh, in science, how can they coexist? How can, that, how can that work? And the question behind the question is, do I have to check my brain at the door to become a a Christian. 
That's the question, okay? Nobody believes the validity of the Bible more than Casey or me or Parkview. If someone says the Bible is wrong, I'm going to have to say that's not true. The Bible is not wrong. The Bible's never wrong. The Bible was written to a people that lived in a certain time, okay? So when the Bible talks about the four corners of the earth, it's not that the Bible writers thought that the world was flat. It's that God was writing to those people in that time. And they couldn't understand that there weren't four corners. And we still talk about the four corners of the earth in a, in a, in a, in a figurative kind of way. I mean, I mean, we do that all the time. When you hear the weatherman at 10 o'clock tonight say sunrise tomorrow will be at 630, you know he's smarter than that, right? You know he, he went to weatherman college. He knows the sun's not actually going to rise at 630. It's a figure of speech. So sometimes you've got to be able to interpret those things that way. And that's what we were talking about last week. Archaeology backs up the Bible. Science backs up the Bible. But if your friend has a question about the Bible and science and you go out there and you try to disprove whatever they're thinking and you start arguing with them, you are going to lose the you're going to lose the war. I know this. I've done this. There's some good science backing up creation. I believe that God created everything according to his kind. I believe that. And there's some good science backing that up. And there's also some really bad science backing that up. And I'm not a scientist. And every time I've gotten into that discussion with somebody, it's gotten in the way of Jesus. And I won't let anything get in the way of Jesus. So the answer is, here's the cake. How come I don't get to preach on cake week? That's a good question. Here's the cake. Okay? There's evidence, and then there's going to take faith. And if you want to believe in evolution, you know, Darwin himself would say, it's going to take a lot of faith to believe in this. And if you want to believe in creation, it's going to take a lot of faith to believe in this. And the new theory is that life came from other planets, right? You know this? It's like Battle of Los Angeles is real, okay? That's the new one. Well, guess what? It's going to take a lot of faith for that to happen, too. One way or another, it's going to take a lot of faith. Here's the evidence. It's going to take faith, Okay? We have to try to answer the question behind the question. The Apostle Paul said we should live, listen to this, we should live wisely among those who are not believers. If you're not a believer and you walked in here today for some reason, we want to try to present this wisely to you. And listen, and we want to make the most out of every opportunity. Let your Christians, listen to this, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Gracious and attractive, not arguing. Peter said, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. Gracious, attractive, gentle, respectful. That's what we're shooting for. Not arguing. Okay? There's a website out called Jesus Needs New PR. pretty funny um and someone sent it to me this week and they have a christian album cover of the day this is the one from this week i thought it was great good old 70s album i hope nobody knows butch butch yelton and upward bound upbound i mean you can see that obviously this is a, a while ago nobody's worn denim vests for a really really long time but look at the name of the album Swing that gospel axe. I mean, what the heck? What? How does that work? Oh, hey, non-Christian friends, come over and listen to my friend Butch sing about the gospel axe. I mean, what are you, some kind of homicidal maniac? That doesn't make any sense, okay? Jesus does need new PR. He needs gracious and attractive and gentle and respectful, okay? That, that was your free sermon, okay? Now, here's the question behind the question. If someone says to you, how do bad, why do bad things happen to good people? How could there be a, a God if these bad things are going on? Possibly the question behind the question is why did something bad happen to me or someone that I love? 
Okay? And probably the best answer, if you're going to be gentle and respectful and gracious and attractive, probably the best answer you could give, if you know that someone's got something going on in their, in, their, in their life and they ask you that question, the best answer you could give them is, you know what, that's a good question and I've got some answers I'd love to share with you someday, but right now, how can I help you? You see what that does? That's the question behind the question. Okay. But if they still want an answer, if they're still going to press you on it, I, I, I will give you what, what I know, Okay. I want to tell you, first of all, um, I'm not an expert in suffering. I always want to be really upfront with you, okay? Um, there are a lot of you out there suffering more than I am or have. I'm not exempt from suffering. You know, my, <laughs> I don't get special benefits working for God. You know, my house value didn't go up while yours has been going down. There's not a clergy gas station with 99 cents a gallon gas, okay? <laughs> you know, I know you think the teacups and the eating utensils dance around my house and the little birdies help my wife get dressed, but the truth is I live where you live, okay? I've had my share of struggles. We've had kids in intensive care. We've had marriage issues. We've had financial issues. But we're really blessed. And I just want to be honest with you right now, okay? Most of you, I would say, probably have greater problems in your life than I have right now. Because I'm really blessed. But the truth of the matter is, I could go find somebody that's got worse problems than you do. That doesn't really matter, does it? The deal is, it's not about, it's not about somebody else's problems. It's about my problems. Philip Yancey says, this is not an intellectual issue to be debated. It's a personal matter that ties our emotions into knots and leaves us with spiritual vertigo. And believe it or not, I mean, you know, I don't always just listen to Christian music um, either. I listen to a whole lot of different stuff and happen to like Regina Spector for some reason because I have three daughters. And uh, I, I was listening to Regina Spector's newest album, and I was, I was just literally knocked off my chair when I heard this song. So we're going to do this for you. She did a song on there. She's not a believer. She did this song called No One Laughs at God, and it, 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 it will give you, I think, the depth of this subject that we're going to talk about today. So let's listen. Thanks, Jamie. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the truth of the matter is, the world will laugh at God when we make God look stupid. But at some point in everybody's life, there gets a place where you realize, you know what? I can't laugh about this anymore. I need some help. No one's laughing at God in those situations. I was in one of those situations this week as I was visiting with the Fox family, whose dad, who's younger than Don, younger than me, uh, a week ago, had some numbness in his foot, went to the doctor, found out he had late-stage, very aggressive brain cancer. And in a week, they've been processed. He's already had surgery in that amount of time. I want you to be praying for them. This is what I told them. Okay, the sermon is basically what I told them this week. This sermon is what I would tell the people in Japan who've lost loved ones in an earthquake, in the tsunami. This is what I would tell you, whatever's going on in your life. Um, these are the answers that I would give you. Okay, and, and it starts with helping you understand one really important thing. God does not cause the evil. I don't believe that God causes the evil, that he created the evil in the first place. Epicurus' big dilemma, his philosophical dilemma was this. If God wants to stop evil, but he cannot, he's impotent. If God can stop evil, but he doesn't, then he's wicked. That's the problem the world thinks, right? How can we have an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God who is also good and still have evil? And I want to tell you that we do. 
I want to tell you, I don't need a wimpy God. I certainly don't need a nasty, mean God. And I don't want a little bit of God over here, a little bit of God over there. I don't need a Mambo number five God, a little bit of Monica, a little bit of Erica, okay? I need a God that's got it all put together. I need a God who is good and powerful at the same time, and so do you. So this is my explanation. Lamentation says, God does not willingly bring affliction or grief on the children of men. I don't believe that God causes brain cancer. I don't believe that God causes earthquakes or tsunamis. Well, then why is there evil in the world? I'll give you four different explanations for the evil in the world. Some suffering in the world is the result of our own sin. Sometimes you just have to own up to screwing up your own life. Don't you? This is my cartoon for the day. No, you can't be Charlie Sheen for Halloween. (laughs) Okay? I'm sorry. That's just funny right there. Okay, it's not funny because you, you, sometimes you just got to admit you're screwing up your own life, okay? You need to take control of it. This isn't difficult. If you drive drunk and you hit a pole and you crash your car, don't blame God, okay? It's your fault. You made a dumb decision. The Bible teaches us that, that, our, that, God, does not teach, that God does not treat us as our sins deserve, okay? In John 9, they bring a guy to Jesus who is blind, and they say, Jesus... Why is this guy blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither one. Neither this man or his parents' sin. It happens so the work of God might be displayed in his life. God will make good come from it, but God did not cause this. And sin did not cause this, okay? This, this is the result of the things that are going on in the world. Sometimes stuff just happens, okay? Think about this. If God punished us for all of our sins, there would be no telephone poles left and we would all be dead. I don't believe that God is punishing us for our sin. I believe that our actions sometimes bring sin into the world. The second source of suffering is choices by other people. If someone drives drunk and hits you, it's not God's fault either, right? I mean, God didn't cause that to happen. It was their bad choice. Somebody estimated 90 to 95% of the problems in the world are the result of choices made by ourselves or other people. I mean, think about whatever it is that's going on. You're going to hear testimony from it in a little bit. Not God's fault, somebody else's fault, or your fault, okay? And that's obvious if you think about a drunk driver, but take it out a little bit from there, okay? Because people are always like, well, if there's a God that's good, why is there famine in Africa? You know what my answer to that is? I don't know why there's famine in Africa, but what I know is that we've got enough food over here to take care of all the people in Africa, so really we could take care of this problem ourselves if we were just responsible. We all live on the same planet. Some suffering is the result of our own mistakes, our own actions. Some suffering is the result of other people's actions. Some suffering is the result of satanic attack. We find this in the Bible. I found this picture of a of a bus that was advertising a zoo. It's pretty amazing. That's just a, a, a rap graphic. Isn't that awesome? The artist ought to get a, you know, an award for that. That's incredible. Uh, that picture just kind of struck me because that's exactly what is going on in our world. Satan's got himself wrapped around our world and he's squeezing it. And, and we know this because the Bible tells us the Old Testament character Job uh, lost his family, lost all his wealth, uh, lost his health all in like one day. And we know it came from Satan. And, and Paul had some physical problems and he said they came from Satan. And I know, I don't know why God didn't stop those things from happening. That's a question I can't answer. But I wonder why more people aren't mad at Satan because Satan is responsible. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And some stuff is coming straight, straight from Satan. Some stuff is our own mistakes. Some stuff is other people's choices. 
some stuff is satanic. And a lot of things, I think whatever's left, goes in the category of this is a fallen world that we live in. See, the problem is we grow up on Disney, right? We grow up, we grow up and we think everything is supposed to turn out all right. And if I just get everything, all the planets lined up, there'll be a happily ever after sometime in my life. And, and the credits can roll and, and everything will be okay. And we think that's going to happen in this life. That, that's our childhood fantasy. And at some point we grow up and we realize, you know what? I've been lied to because this world isn't all I thought it was going to be. It's like this email I got this week. This is a world record white-tailed deer just shot. It's taken by a cousin of a co-worker's sister's uncle's best friend's son-in-law's niece's hairdresser. It's a true story. It was shot in West Texas on a really windy day, 85 degrees downhill around a curve at 900 yards with a 22. Okay, there's one hunter in here who's getting it. Witnesses, this deer had killed a Brahma bull, two Land Rovers, and six Jehovah Witnesses in the last two weeks alone. They said it was winning a fight with Bigfoot when it was shot. It had also been confirmed that the buck had been seen drinking discharge water from a nuclear power plant. This has been checked on Snopes, who confirmed it. Honest, sincerely, Barack Obama. That's the email I got. You know it's like you grow up and at some point you're like, wait a minute, all that stuff, that's not the way that I thought it was going to be. And listen, I like the life is good shirts. I've got some of them and the hat and everything, you know, and I don't want a life is not always good shirt. But the truth of the matter is life is not always good. Philip Yancey says, don't confuse life with God. This isn't the way God wanted it to be. God created everything to be perfect and live in harmony. And we find out way back in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, that Adam and Eve decided to, to sin and to bring in death and destruction and disease into our world. It's their fault and it's our fault. So there are earthquakes and there are droughts and famines and there is cancer. And all of those things happen because our world is out of sync. Our world is out of balance. God gave Adam and Eve the free will to obey or the free will to disobey and create disharmony. So, so then your next question is, well, why did God allow them free will to bring this crummy stuff into the world in the first place? And I like the way Lee Strobel answers it in the case for faith. He said, because that would have been a world without humans. Would it have been a place without hate? Yes. A place without suffering? Yes. But it would also have been a world without love, which is the highest value in the universe. And the highest good could never have been experienced because real love, our love of God and our love of each other, must come with a free choice. But in granting us that choice came the possibility that all of these other bad things would happen. That's why the book of Romans, Paul says, all creation anticipates a day when we will happily live ever, happily ever after. We will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Someday we're waiting for that. But right now, he says, creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. We're groaning right now. The world is groaning. You can almost hear it because it's out of sync and we're waiting for the day when everything is going to be made right. But right now, the Bible says the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. That's what's going to happen. And the knife is going to cut the bread and it's going to cut my finger if it gets in the way. And the force of gravity that keeps me on the earth is going to break my leg if I fall out of a tree. And tornadoes are going to hit strip clubs and churches. Okay? And cancer is going to strike believers and unbelievers. Jesus was honest with his friends. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Why? Because the world is screwed up. 
I don't need to blame God for it. It's just screwed up. I can ask God to intervene, and I do all the time. I'm asking God to intervene for the Fox family. I'm asking God to intervene for all of you who've got things on the prayer list. I want God to intervene, but when God does that, what do we call those? Miracles. They're miracles when God intervenes into the laws of nature. And if your whole life is nothing but miracles, how do you ever get the point that someday you need to get out of this world and go to the one that is perfect? The truth is we're never going to really understand all of this, but, but it, it's because of ourselves, other people, Satan, or the fallen world. That's why there's suffering in this world. This video is really excellent. I'm going to put this link on my blog if you want to get this and send it to other people. This is kind of a great explanation, and then I'm going to introduce you to somebody. Is God good? If he is, why is there suffering and evil? Let's assume for the moment that God is all-powerful. This means that God can do anything that is logically possible. So he can create galaxies and subatomic particles and rainforests and you. But God cannot do what is logically impossible. He cannot make a square circle or a one-ended stick. So can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? No. So what if when God created human beings, he wanted them to be free? Freedom's a good thing, but if humans are to be free, they cannot be forced to obey God. Because freedom without choice is like a square circle. It's a logical contradiction. No choice, no freedom. God didn't want robots. He wanted real people. The first humans endowed with the awesome power of free choice abused their freedom. The tragic consequences of their bad choice and our bad choices ripple across the world. God is responsible for the fact of freedom, but humans are responsible for their acts of freedom. But let's remember, we don't suffer alone. God will put an end to suffering and evil. And God became a man to suffer with us. God is good, and he wants real people like you to know him. But the free choice is yours. I told you I didn't know necessarily that much about suffering. I mean, compared to what a lot of you are going through, I just, I, it's not the same. So I decided to introduce you to somebody who does. It's pretty hard to meet Lonnie Cahay, who's our pastoral care pastor, uh, rolling around in a wheelchair and not know that he's been through a couple of things. Because he wasn't born this way. He was in an accident. Tell us about your accident. How'd you end up in a chair? Well, in 1974, I was in Dallas, Texas with my brother and cousin. We were on our way back to Oklahoma and uh, driving down the road. And a lady pulled over in our lane and hit us. And we rolled three times sideways, went in the air. 20 feet, came down on the nose of it, one and a half rotation. And so the ambulance came and took me to Baylor Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. And I finally woke up on the x-ray table in Baylor Medical Center. It was uh, one of the most painful experiences I've had, ever had in my life. My back hurt tremendously. So that was a and devastation. And what happened to your back? Well, I had three vertebrae that were broken and which bruised my spine and caused me to be paralyzed from here down. And uh, I was, um, it took me a few days to really realize the extent of the seriousness of the accident. 
my folks were 200 miles away. They jumped in the car and they drove down to Dallas. And and uh, it was a couple of days later, we were uh, they were propping me up with pillows to uh, make sure that I turned every two hours so that I wouldn't get bed sores and stuff. And so my mom was sitting beside me. And I'll never forget, I reached down and I touched my leg, but I thought it was a pillow. And I asked my mom, I said, Mom, is that a pillow or my leg? And I'll never forget the look on her face with tears in her eyes. She says, no, it's, it's your leg. I thought, wow, this is not good. Yeah. So what starts going through your mind then as you realize you have no feeling? What, uh, well, will I be able to walk for one thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I believed in God, and I knew that he had a purpose for me in my life. But, you know, I, would, I, would I walk again? Would I uh, be able to stand again? Would I be able to drive a car again? Would I be do just regular things? Would I? Would anybody love me? Yeah. I mean, that was a big thing for me. I was 19 years old at the time, and I thought, "Wow, I I don't know if anybody would love me." And uh, fortunately, uh, a young lady came into my life uh, uh, named Dawn, my wife, and uh, this August we will celebrate 33 years. Oh no! Did she come? She here? No, she's not. She was here last night. She's a short little lady. She's five foot and a quarter. I always say a quarter, but she told me last night it was five and a half. Okay, five foot and a half. She comes about right there. Yeah, that's right. Works out pretty good. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I tell people all all the time, I have, you know, my preacher friends, you can't understand how great it is to have a pastoral care guy like Lonnie because... Um, if you're in the hospital, if there's something going on in your life, you don't really want to see me. You, you, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm a spiritual wimp. The reason my life is okay is because I'm a spiritual wimp. I'll admit it right now. God knows I, you know, I, don't, I couldn't handle it. But, but Lonnie rolls into your, into your hospital room. Lonnie rolls into whatever the situation is. And you, on, you automatically know that, that Lonnie has wrestled through the issues that you've wrestled through. So what do you tell people? Well, one of the things I remember back in the hospital was, uh, you know, I grew up in, as a believer. I mean, my, we went to church and, and I accepted Jesus at 11. But when I was 19, I mean, I had my mother and father's faith. You know, they taught me Jesus. But when I was laying in the room by myself, I mean, I had no family within 200 miles yeah. for three and a half months. And I was there by myself. And I, and I remember saying, God, are you real? Do you really see what's going on here? And he reached out to me and he said, yes. I know you, Lonnie. I love you. And I am here for you. And so I, I, one, one thing I want to say to you all is there's really nothing in this world, there's nothing in this world that, is, that you encounter that you and Jesus can handle together. Hmm. Nothing. Amen. I mean, I, I believe that I know that when I go into someone's hospital room and I say, you know, hey, God loves you. I pray for you. I, believe me, I believe in healing. You know, five years ago, I was healed from septic shock syndrome. Absolutely. You shouldn't you know, be here. I shouldn't Again. be here. Again. Yeah. How many lives do I got? I don't know. You're like a cat. I know. I know. <laughs> Meow. You know, I just... <laughs> you got seven left, I, I guess. You're good. I'm good. So I live all of us. You know, so if I just roll off of the hair, I'll <laughs> be fine. I'd be fine. <laughs> you know, but 
when I roll into someone's room, I, I can say, you know, I've been there and I've done that. I've experienced what you are experiencing. And my God was with me every step of the way. Mm. You see, God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I stand on that, I stand on that promise. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. I, I will stand on that promise someday. But I sit on that promise every day when I wake up. And what God has done for me, he lets me partner with him. He lets me partner with him every day when I wake up. And so I'm excited about that. So what are you going to tell Jesus when you get to heaven? Oh, baby. You know, I'm excited about that because I'll be able to stand before him. Yeah. Yeah, you will. I know that. I'll be able to give him one of the biggest hugs of all time. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to thank him for giving me life. Jesus said, I come so that you may have life to the full. He doesn't say when we get to heaven. He says right now. And so I can go through anything in this life that, God, that Satan or anybody else throws at me. Mm. I can go through anything in this life and I can have joy because I have Jesus. Mm. And I'm excited when we all get to heaven. That's going to be a great day. You guys won't recognize me. I'll be standing tall. We look forward to that day, bro. Love you, man. Love you, man. Thank you. I love you guys. I love you. Jesus rocks. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Argue with that. Um, the problem is, if you, if, even if you got the why questions answered, you still got to figure out the what. So let me just leave you with a couple of things, and we're going to do communion and pray for you. Uh, one thing is, and Lonnie said all this, realize that you're not alone. In John 14, Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit would be with us and could give us a peace that passes understanding. In other words, even though there are problems in life that are impossible to understand, there is an element of God's comfort that is also impossible to explain. You know, I I, I can tell you right now, I don't think I could handle being in a wheelchair. I don't think I could handle having brain cancer. I don't think I could handle losing a child. I don't think I could handle being in an earthquake. I don't think I could handle those things. But you know what? You know this is true. If I got in that situation, I could handle it. Because God only gives me the amount of strength for what I need. And there would be a supernatural peace and a supernatural strength that would come upon me. I know that that's true because I've seen it happen over and over again. Psalm 34 said, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Please know, if you're here with a broken spirit today, if you're crushed, God is close to you. He wants to be there for you. Second thing is that you should remember that Jesus knows about your suffering. That's the beautiful thing about this whole deal with Christianity is that Jesus came down to be one of us and to be a part of us and he knows what it's like to be betrayed and he knows what it's like to be beaten and he knows what it's like to be abused and he knows what it's like to be murdered. And, and, and so when we talk about Jesus, when we have communion here in just a moment and we remember the fact that he died for us, we know that he feels our pain and that should unite us with him. He didn't like it when he was here. He doesn't like it that you're going through it, but he's been there. The third thing I want you to remember is that pain can serve a purpose. John Ortberg wrote about being a part of this Monby thing. John was part of the Monby stuff that we're doing, this spiritual growth thing that we're trying to be a part of. And they did a survey and they asked people, when did you grow the most spiritually? 
And, and Ortberg wrote, the number one contributor to spiritual growth that people mentioned was not transformational teaching. It was not being in a small group. It was not reading deep books. It was not energetic worship services. It was not even finding more meaningful ways to serve. The number one way people said that they grew was when they suffered, was through suffering. People said they grew more during those times than any other time in their life. That's why we know Romans tells us, Romans 8 says, that we wait anxiously for the day when God will give us full rights as children. We wait for happily ever after in the new bodies that he has promised us. But in the meantime, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God can make good come of it. You can grow closer to God through it. He didn't cause it, but he will draw you closer to him. Johnny Erickson taught as a, as a woman who uh, was uh, like Lonnie. She was living a normal life, dove into a lake, broke her neck, and is a paraplegic now. Many of you have uh, seen her drawing. She, she does artwork with her mouth, um, you know, drawings, and she speaks all around the country. And she said, when I get to heaven, I want to take my old wheelchair with me to heaven. She said, I know, I know that it's probably not theologically correct, but I'd like to take my wheelchair to heaven because when I get my resurrected body and as soon as I've gotten off my grateful, glorified knees, I'm going to stand next to Jesus and I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you, you were right, Jesus, when you said in this world I would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on it. And the harder I leaned on you, the harder, the harder I leaned on you, the harder I leaned on you, the harder, I, the stronger I discovered you to be. The harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And I just don't think, she said, I would have realized the depth and the wonder and the joy and the amazement of your grace if it wasn't for that awful, terrible thing. And I just wanted to bring it up here so that I can tell you, thank you for the gift that you gave me of living all this time in that wheelchair so that I could know the nearness of you and your sweetness and your sustaining power. Now you can send that thing to hell. Right? One last thing. There is a limit. There's a limit to our suffering. In Romans 8, Paul, who went through a lot of hardships, said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. There is a happily ever after. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for him. Happily ever after starts in Revelation when John wrote, the old order of things has passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. That's what we're looking forward to. Suffering will be over someday and until that day, all we can do is rely on God to get us through what's going on right now. A lady who had MS, uh, had her own hardships, wrote about being in a beautician's, uh, at a beauty shop one day, getting her nails done. And she was talking to the beautician and talking about her MS and, you know, some of the things that had gone on in her life. And the beautician just kind of chimed in and said, well, that's why I don't believe in God. The lady said, really? Well, don't tell me about that. She said, I don't believe in God. If God exists, how could there, why would there be so many sick people? And why would there be abandoned children? If God exists, there would be no suffering or pain. I can't imagine a loving God who would allow these things. The lady said, I, I don't want to argue with her. I didn't want to do that in the beauty shop. So I just kind of listened and, and I paid and I went on my way. But as I was going out the door, there was a homeless woman right outside the door who had horrible hair. She hadn't had a bath in probably weeks and her hair was all stringy and, and, and mangy and nasty. And she said, I had, I had a thought and I walked right back in to the beautician. And I said, I don't believe beauticians exist. Beautician said, what are you talking about? I, I exist. I just did your nails. What are you talking about? lady said, 
if beauticians exist, why are there people in the world that have dirty, nasty, unkept hair like that woman right outside? Beauticians say, well, beauticians exist. The problem is people don't come to me. And she said, exactly. God does exist. What happens is we don't come to him. I want to encourage you today, whatever's going on in your life, you can come to him. And at the, after we do communion, after we do all this, we're going to have an opportunity for you to pray with somebody. Some of our prayer team, some of our pastors, elders, people are going to be here for you. I would invite you to come to him with your issues and let us pray for you. We're going to close with a clip from Stephen Curtis Chapman. Stephen Curtis Chapman is a contemporary Christian singer, has been for years, one of the most uh, Dove Award winning uh, singers there is out there. And he was at a concert at at our church almost three years ago um, and had two shows here at Parkview. And then he went home and literally the next day, after he got home from here, his son, who was 17, was driving an SUV uh, in, their, in their driveway and struck and killed their five-year-old daughter that they had just adopted from China. Many of you heard about it. it was, I mean, it was a tragedy that everybody felt, and we especially felt it because we had a kinship with them and we'd just seen all their pictures and, and, and had the family with us. Well, this video is just going to tell you a little bit about what went on after that, and then we're going to close with a really great song that Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote out of that experience, and then we'll have communion together. Grammy and Dove Award winning recording artist Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife Mary Beth never imagined they would have to endure the pain of losing a child. In May of 2008, Maria, the youngest of their six children, was accidentally hit and killed by an SUV. Sadly, it happened in their driveway, and the couple's 17-year-old son, Will Franklin, was the driver. Today, when I, you know, I look at Maria, you can't look at that situation by itself and go, that's a good plan from God, because it's not good. It's the enemy is at his worst. Now, can God do amazing things with it? Absolutely. But my whole life has been experiences of, you know, what will God do with this now? One of the places most profoundly we've seen God as Redeemer is in the life of our son, Will. And, you know, to have to carry that weight of, uh, of you know, having been driving the car um, and to yet see him walk through life with this sense of, I know God is going to carry me through. And, uh, and it's just been, it really is a miraculous thing. And Paul says it, if our hope is only for this life to get all those things to, to sort of line up, the planets to line up so things go pretty well with us, um, he said, we're really missing the whole heart of the gospel. And, and he says, we're really foolish if we believe that. We're, we're to be pitied, he says in Scripture, because our hope is beyond this life. Our hope is so much greater and so much more, and it's what sustains us through the very valley of the shadow of death to say, but that day is coming when, when he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, when he's going to make all things new. And, and we anchor to that hope so that when the storm comes, when the hurricane, when the tsunami hits, that we say, this is our anchor. This is our hope. It's, it transcends. It's beyond this life. There is hope. God knows what it is like to put 
his son to death for us. I mean, he did it for us. He was blameless. And so that's what I, I again, would remind everybody that he's not unfamiliar with mm -hmm. losing a child. As much as I don't understand it, and, and as much as we still deal with the grief of that, you know, and the loss, um, I really do believe that God is going to bring beauty and is already bringing beauty out of this, out of these ashes. And that's, of course, Scripture. It says he'll, he'll give you beauty for ashes. And ultimately, that beauty is going to come in heaven. And we, that's our hope. That's the gospel. And that's, that's the promise that we claim right there. Out of these ashes, beauty will rise. We'll, we'll figure out a way. And God's going to help us to do that. Jesus, when he was here, said, I have come to bring you peace. He said, I have come to bring you peace. I, I promise you, I'm coming. You're going to have peace in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. There's going to be trouble, but take heart. I want to encourage you to do that today, whatever's going on in your life. We're going to have communion. We're going to pass the trays across and give you the opportunity to take out both cups, one inside the other, bread in the bottom, juice in the top doesn't matter whether you're from Parkview or not. We welcome you to commune. And what I want you to do during this communion time is just to remember that Jesus does understand our pain. He does know what's going on because this, this, this sacrament that we're about to take represents his body that was broken and his blood that was shed so that we could be in a place of happily ever after someday when he makes all things new. And so that we would have the power to live the abundant life, even here. The problem is that people don't come to him. So I want to encourage you to come to him right now. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you'll just uh, watch over us right now. And, and Jesus, I know you're knocking on the door of some hearts right now who are they're hardened, they're, they're bitter, they're, they're angry. I know from some of the stories that I've heard already, some of the situations that have gone on, and they're not laughing at you and they're not even laughing with you because they're they're hurt they're devastated lord i pray that you'll help their hearts soften up to the point where they can feel how much you love them and how much you want to surround them and how much you do care about them and how much it wasn't your fault that whatever happened to them happened but that you can make good come if they come to you that beauty will rise lord um there are people here who need to just open up their hearts and say, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I, I accept you. You're, you're my God. I'm going to follow you. All of us need to do that right now. All of, us, all of us need to come to you right now. Be with us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.